The nail in the coffin! Coffin. It's episode number 54 of our weekly Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino, joined as always by my tag team partner, Travis Uly. A frigid Thursday night as we record here. We are, uh, we're going to talk Browns tonight. <laughs> we, uh, you know. It, if you've been listening for the last year, you're finally getting Browns talk. It's, uh, it's getting serious. We, uh, we're, we're running out of games here and uh, still looking for that first win. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we're going to dive into it, and uh, we got a, a guest tonight. Um, very lucky to have join us, uh, my old friend Jeff Schudel from the News Herald and the Lorraine Morning Journal. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. I can't believe I'm number 54. I'm so, I, I can't believe I'm so excited to finally <laughs> join you guys. <laughs> Our esteemed guest. <laughs> We had to work out all the kinks before we started bringing in the A-listers here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, okay, I, I think we're finally uh, up okay, to stuff now. Out. So, um, Jeff's been covering the Browns since 1981, and uh, we were chatting a little bit before started recording here. So, he's uh, he's seen it all, but uh, Jeff, I, I have to ask you, have you ever seen anything like the season that we're going through with the Browns this year? No, I I have not. I mean, I thought I had seen it all, Tom, until this year. And to be 0-13 is, is, is very depressing, frankly. And I really don't – I mean, the Browns are trying to spin it that everything's getting better. Well, I, I don't see that. I mean, okay, they're going to give RG3 another chance as a starter here on Sunday, and he certainly deserves that. But last week – he could not have won a stuffed doll at the at the county fair. He was he, he was throwing the ball into the ground and you know in the over the sideline and and everywhere except to the Browns. I mean, he had 104 yards passing. He had not, uh, 25 of that on the last possession when they got the ball with less than a minute to play. So I don't see it getting better anytime soon. What's the morale like in that building right now? And, and really, what's the morale like in the media room? Well, you know how cynical sports writers can be. <laughs> um, so we can get some laughs. But, no, um, never. Nah, but uh, <laughs> actually the morale is in the locker room. These guys are fired up. And I give credit to Hugh Jackson for that because they do keep playing hard. And uh, they don't have the results. To show. I guess so. that's one positive thing that if they really do turn this around, I think they'll be rewarded for it. But there are so many holes on this team. They don't block, they don't tackle, and they don't have a quarterback. So it's amazing to me, really, that uh, that Isaiah Crowell almost, he has a chance at 1,000 yards. They don't block, they don't tackle, they don't have a quarterback. Other than that, things are just great. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of draft picks, so <laughs> there, there you go. Um, so, I mean, that's really a problem, and they really, really have to hit on this draft. They have two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and they have to hit on all four of those guys. We knew this thing was going to be a long-term 
project when they restructured the front office last winter and the off season. And, you know, they were preaching patience from the get go, but do you get the sense that where they're at right now, this is even worse than the front office thought it would be. Um, are they going to yeah. need more time than they anticipated? Or is this really just part of the plan? I do not think they expected to be own 13. They didn't expect to be a playoff team for sure. But at this point, three and 10, I think would have been okay. Well, we're, we're better than we were last year, but, but to be, and they can't really say that they're really, there's only one game, maybe two that you could say they should have won. They should have beaten the, the Dolphins in the uh, second game, third game of the season. They probably would have had the uh, Pat Murray, their first kicker, not been injured, or had he been injured earlier in that week of practice. And as it turned out, though, he was hurt on the Friday before the game in Miami. So they signed a kicker on Saturday, a good kicker, but the guy hadn't been practicing or anything. And, um, Cody Parkey, and so once he gets onto the field, he was really rusty, and he missed kicks that he's making now, and one of those was um, potential game winner at the end of regulation. So they should have won that game. They should have beaten the um, Ravens the week before. They led that game 20 nothing, had an extra point block, and after that, it was history. That Ravens game, I can remember in particular, it was like his as uh, smoothly as it was going for about the first, what was that, 20 minutes or so of game yeah. time, the minute that that extra point was blocked in return for the, the two points the other way, you could all of a sudden feel like, well, the air just came out of the balloon. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. Here we go again. And it turned out to be, here we go again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're right. Jeff, what, um, I guess – do you see anything different? Do the players seem to be reacting differently? We saw Terrell Pryor get a little chippy with uh, Tony Grossi this week. Um, is it getting to the players? Because it, it, it kind of seems like other than Pryor, nobody else really seems to be, um, I guess, reacting any differently to me. But 0-13's got to wear on guys, right? Well, yeah. And, um, you know, the guys that I feel for are um, are the veterans like Joe Hayden and Joe Thomas. Now, if you're one of the young guys and you're part of this youth movement, that, that's fine. But Joe Thomas is in his 10th year, and by the time the Browns are good, and that's not going to be next year, it might, it might be better by 2018, the last year of his contract. So he's probably not going to be around by the time they, they get good, although Hugh Jackson says he wants he wants to win for Joe Thomas, and that's a and that's a fair um, goal of Jackson's. But um, as I say, the veterans are the guys that I feel for. John Greco, who's now bad, he just had foot surgery. He won't be around by the time they're good. And that's assuming they are. They haven't been good for 18 years, so why would I think they, they're going to be good in two or three years? As a reporter, how do you approach a season like this, uh, you know, like what, what kind of stories are you looking for? How much more can you really say at this point when it's basically the same deal every week? <laughs> Tom, I tell, I tell people that's the challenge of my job is to write the same story every day for 18 years and make it sound different. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, seriously, that's it. And to, 
to try to come up with something that um, people might still want to read really is is a challenge. And um, and I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, but but um, like I wrote a couple of weeks ago about how cheap the ticket prices are. Uh, and when you get a chance to write about Mitch Trubisky and any interest the Browns might have in him, those stories people want to read. But they don't want to read, hey, guess what? The Browns are 0-13. So um, it's tough. And, and now the way the locker room is set up, players don't come in as frequently as they used to. They hide from us or they have other things to do. So um, it's a, it is a challenge to, to try to be fresh. With that being said, when do you when do you start looking to next year already? Because I feel like most fans oh, already couldn't oh, really yeah. care less about you know if oh, they yeah, win this right. week or I not. Mean, you're right. I mean, any kind of draft related story you could come up with, you try to write it. And um, you know, as I mentioned about Trubisky, and um, who of course is from Mentor, which gives us a local angle on it, but. Um, the main thing is that he's a good quarterback. To me, he looks like Bernie Kosar with um, athleticism. That's how I describe Trubisky. He's smart. Um, he's a little shorter than Bernie, but I think he's going to be a very good pro. That's surprising to me to hear that he he's shorter than Bernie. I've I've never really stood side by side with Bernie before, but I covered Mitch Trubisky a little bit when he was at Mentor, and I can remember even like his junior and senior year of high school, just uh surprised by how much bigger he was even than me i mean i'm i'm almost 63 and and it felt like he was towering over me in shoulder pads so um hmm, he's he's listed as 63 tom so um and that's what i'm going by and the only time i interviewed him he was sitting down um so uh, but i think he, i really am looking forward to him it being in the pros ideally what i would like to see is uh, is the Browns draft him and let him just sit for a year. He's only played 13 games in college. Let him sit for a year and then um, and let RG3 play next year and then let Trubisky take over in 2018. I, don't, I do not think you have to force feed the rookie, especially if he's going to get killed behind that offensive line. I mean, they've given up 48 sacks. It's not all on the line, but they certainly aren't absolved of guilt. Two two questions based off of what you just said. First, do you have any concern, being that he is a, a, men, a mentor guy, do you have any concern about that? We, we always sort of talk. We, it came up with, like, Cardale Jones and stuff. Like, these guys that are from around here having even higher expectations than a first-round pick would have otherwise? Well, that's a real good question, Travis. Um. You know, Bernie was a local guy, but not right down the street local. He was from from Youngstown area, so it's not quite the same. Um, and I think that that's that's a consideration. I think it'd be tougher for uh, like a Cardale Jones maybe than Trubisky, but um, that would that that has to be a factor. And you certainly don't get him because he's from Manor. Um, and and also you don't reject him because he's from Manor. So um, I think you ha- if the Browns have to look at that as a coincidence that, that he's from Manor. Yeah, I think the the one thing that I I think of is if guys have been around here, like if you've grown up around 
you know, the Browns and sort of that that culture and the desperation of the fans, um, you may have a little more like understanding of it than a guy who, you know, might be from like a California or Texas or something like that. But um, the other question, do you have any any concern that he has only this is his first season as a true starter? Well, I think that is a concern. Um, and when you look at some other guys who who came in in the NFL, looked really good in college, and then then just were nothing really in the NFL, we only had a handful of games. And there's a long slew of them. Mark Sanchez, he had 15 starts in the. And I get, this is I'm I'm saying these numbers because I did this story a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're talking to Mel Kuyper. He had 15 starts. Achilles Smith, who came in, in the NFL with Tim Couch in 1999, he had, I think it was 19. And you need, I I just think that that when they get to the NFL, yeah, they look really good in uh, like a spread offense in, in college. And then they get here and they, can, and they don't play well. I mean, you look at guys now, um, especially coming from the, the Big 12, I mean, you have um, RG3, McCoy, Cole McCoy, uh, Brandon Whedon, all these guys who put up humongous numbers in college. Johnny Menzel. And um, although by then he was in Texas A&M was in the SEC. But um, it's so hard to project um, guys having great success from college to to the NFL. Um, So... I think it's a, it's no matter who you get. I mean Carson Wentz. Look at Carson Wentz looked great in the first two weeks. He hasn't really been anything special since then. And one of those games was against the Browns, so he almost gets an asterisk. So um, <laughs> you know, and and Goff hasn't looked at anything special. So um, that's why to me you do not force feed the rookie. So you know, I I don't know if there's any position that you would consider set. I mean, I don't feel like there's any wrong answer with the draft in terms of like what your priorities are, but you got to start somewhere. So if you're the Browns and you know, you've got two first round picks coming up this spring and obviously quarterbacks, a major concern, are are you making the offensive line your second priority? Well, I think, but that's a tough call too. Um, and they get a, they have to get a pass rusher. I mean, if you have the the worst um, pass rush in the league and the worst pass protection in the league, and you don't have a good quarterback, I mean, you let, let's put it this way: you can't go wrong on whatever position you pick. I guess you look at it that way. Now you could go wrong on the guy you pick, but you can't really go wrong on the position you pick. As long as they don't pick a long snapper or a kicker. With our first pick, they'll um, they'll be picking the position of need, and of course they're not going to do that. We don't that think. Kind of looks like it's going to be a lot higher than we originally thought. Yeah, it's yeah. like that and, could possibly be top ten. Which yeah, who knows? They might still be able to take like a Miles Garrett and then you know still get the quarterback in the first round if they wanted to. I think that's what they would love to do. I think mean, they would love that situation. Now, but you have to think about the Bears need a quarterback. The 49ers sure need a quarterback. But are those guys, are those teams going to reach for reach for them? Because most of the um, draft analogies analysts coming out now don't really have um, Trubisky and 
and Kaiser and all those guys coming off uh, as a top pick in the draft. But, you know, teams always reach for quarterbacks. But when you do, you get in trouble most of the time. I mean, you look at you, – you could just make a list after a list of quarterbacks where where you reach for a guy and, and he's not worth that pick. You just hope he is because you pick him in the top ten. Well, like Jake Locker that from the Titans. That doesn't work. And then you set yourself back. Pardon One of them starting for the Browns this weekend. Right, right. Now, I have to say that I thought RG3 was going to really be good coming out of school. But um, obviously. And he that, showed it his first year. In yeah. Fairness. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but then, you know, I don't know what happened. I really think that he changed, to be honest with you. Because I remember talking to him at the um, at the combine in 2012. I was just very impressed by him as, as a humble human being, and I'm not sure that he really is that same guy anymore. Um, and you know, Blake Bortles, you know, is is he the answer down there in uh, in Jacksonville? A lot of people. I mean, I liked him coming out, but um, he certainly doesn't turn that franchise around. The, um, and you go on and on. I mean, you get the one draft where you had where you had uh, Andrew Luck and RG3, Ryan Tannehill. Then the Browns take Brandon Weed in the first round. Not a good pick. You know, and then Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. All those guys went in the first round, and Cam Newton, of course, is good. But the next three are were first-round reaches, and and it turned out that they weren't any good. You know, the one thing you'd mentioned with RG3 kind of seeming like he's changed over the last few years, I really think personally that, that the way things spiraled on him in Washington probably had a huge impact on just the way that um, that he looks at the league and his outlook on, on his career. Because he was, I mean, his rookie year, he was awesome. And he took the Redskins to the playoffs and then his knee got really messed up and they had that terrible turf there on the field at, mm. at FedEx down there in, in Washington. And, you know, I think he had a kind of a run in with the Shanahan's and right. it, it just uh, the, the whole episode there. I, I could see how that would leave him scarred um, psychologically and really physically, because it just doesn't seem like even physically he's ever been quite the same as he was either at Baylor or what the, the Redskins his first year. Well, yeah, but he did have a knee injury at Baylor, an ACL at Baylor. Um, so you're right, he has not been the same physically. And uh, this game coming up for him is pretty important, I think. I mean, he has to not necessarily win the game, but he has to show that he could throw about 10 yards to the guy with the, the same color jersey without bouncing it. And um, he he did not show us that. So... I think it's a big game for him. Outside of the roster, as we start kind of peeking ahead to the offseason, do you foresee any sort of changes coming either with the coaching staff or the front office, or are they going to kind of finally hold the hold the line and let things kind of play out for a second year here? Well, that's a really good question. I think, and I'm not alone in this, in this room, I think that that Jimmy Haslam has to find a football guy at least to advise Sashi Brown. And, you know, this, and I'm, I'm not big on 
saying whether it's analytics is working or not working. That doesn't seem that doesn't bother me as much as getting the right guy, getting guys that can play football. And um, a lot of these draft picks that they that they made this year, I'm telling you guys, there is no re- no, there's nothing to say. Oh yeah, well they're going to get a lot better. I mean, you look you look at who they drafted, and they. And Sean Coleman, a tackle that they were counting on, he hasn't done anything. Um, Joe Schobert, a linebacker that they wanted, he, you know, he's nothing. Um, Corey Coleman definitely doesn't look like he was the top receiver in this draft. No, I mean, and he, and he, right, and he's, he's the guy that time, they want. But... Yeah, I and mean, he, he's going to be okay. Kyle Nassib, he looked good early, but he hasn't done much. Ricardo Lewis, man, oh man, he. I'm telling you, he did not want to be out in that cold weather on um, on a sun, last Sunday against the Bengals. And Jordan Payton, you got a guy who's suspended for PEDs who caught one pass for three yards. I, I wrote last week he should ask for his money back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if Imagine what he'd be putting up if he didn't have those PEDs. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean... These guys, I mean, Spencer Drango now, he's been he's been playing uh, left guard because of the injury to um, Betonio. So, and the right tackle is no good. Um, Spencer Pastor, I mean, excuse me. Austin Pastor. Uh, Austin Pastor, I'm trying to say. He's been no good. And now I think Cam Irving actually is getting a little better at center, but he still has a long way to go. Um so there, there are a lot of holes on this team, and I think they need to get a football guy in there to, even if he tries to work behind the scenes. But, I mean, I don't understand why they would think that Sashi Brown, who is, he might be the smartest man in Ohio. Let's say he is. But that doesn't mean that he could go out and draft a guy. I'm pretty sure he never got his shoes muddy scouting somebody or, you know, timing them in a 40 and a crummy weather or whatever and or you know goes go into a locker room and you know step over wet towels to talk to somebody probably not see i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that last point because i think that's really something you know the, the culture of a football locker room even just as an outsider i think there's something to that because um, you just look at certain things that the way the browns have kind of operated here in the past year and it's like i'm all for doing things differently and and trying to think outside the box and that's fine but then you get things like cutting Paul Kruger at like the third or fourth week of training camp and he's yeah. a, a veteran in a locker room where you don't have many of them to begin with and he's still a serviceable player and that's and you can't really say it was a money saving move with it, the no, they, they're at they, relation to the cap either absolutely it's not a, a money issue with uh, their salary cap so you know, if you want to build a reputation as a place that players are going to want to come play, I mean, right. it feels like they kind of, you know, did him dirty a little bit, and that sends a terrible message. Yeah, that you're you're right about that, and and they make they've made some pretty bad choices, in my opinion, of who they who they've gotten rid of. So, um, you know, they draft these four wide receivers, and then you think, oh well, we don't need this guy, we don't need that guy. And uh, and that's just they make bad bad choices, and part of that is because they don't have people in there 
who are really quality. I mean, now uh, Hugh Jackson is, but they don't have people who are, I don't think, qualified really to judge talent except for the head coach. And um, and he's got he's got enough on his plate to um, that he can't be in charge of the draft. He can't be like uh, Bill Parcells or somebody like that. You know, Taylor Gabriel is an example. The Browns cut Taylor Gabriel. Now he's playing for the Falcons. Granted, you know he's catching passes from Matt Ryan, but he's got he's got 29 catches, five touchdown catches. He'd be leading the Browns if he had five touchdown catches here. That's the one reason I'm not totally down on Corey Coleman right now is I wonder how much better his numbers would look if um, if he had a competent quarterback who was, you know, setting up shop and throwing passes from behind a good line. And that clearly isn't the case right now. So as a wide receiver, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Right. And that and that's why it's I mean, it's kind of tough to judge some of these guys. Um, but we you know, keep going back to the same thing. They have to get a pass rush. They have to protect the passer, and they have to get a quarterback. And, you know, fans are really getting fed up. That's well, Let's talk about uh, Christmas Eve. I'm just writing this right now before we, got, before we went on this. What's gonna, who is gonna, what, what game is going to have more people in seats? The Browns, Chargers, or the Cavs, um, Golden State the next night, next day? Which guy? What do you think is going to outdraw the other? <laughs> it's it's probably going to be. It's pro. I'm going to say it's probably still going to be the Browns, but it's going to be way closer than it should be. Um, that stadium is going to look like a ghost town. It was pretty bad. I actually had to go last weekend to the game, um, and it was. I mean, you could sit wherever you wanted, basically. So yeah, I, well, I I'm can't imagine sure San Diego doesn't. There's not be a. There won't be a ton of Chargers. That's true. There was actually a pretty stands. pretty decent turnout of Bengals fans last week. Right, right, and that won't be the case this time. I'll be honest. I I, I know what uh, the announced attendance will probably be for the Browns game, but if you're talking actual bodies in the stadium, I think there's going to be more people at the Cavs game, even though it only holds less than a, a third of the capacity of the Browns yeah, stadium. I was say thirty percent. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's and, I mean, I talked to a um, for that story I referred to. I talked to a guy from a, it's called Amazing Tickets, and he's he said it's going to be like a preseason game in uh, in, in on Christmas Eve. So those are like twenty thousand people go to those games. Yeah, there's nothing I mean, amazing about those tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's probably uh, not doing so great off off of this season. No, not at all. And that's sure more than made it back with the Indians. Yeah, that yeah, that helped him. But um that that's exactly right though. And see, unlike some like StubHub, StubHub sells cheaper, but it's not fair to make that comparison because um StubHub is is like eBay. You know, if if I have something to sell and you want to buy it, I sell it on StubHub and I have to pay a fee and you have to pay a fee if the ticket sells, and that's how they make their money. So they, they don't buy tickets like these other secondary markets do. Hmm. Yeah, it's also more, I think StubHub, a lot of people is just like, you know, I got these tickets. I got to get rid of them. I'll take whatever I can get at this point. And then... Right. I mean, I just went on there now for that story, and they're, they have 9,300 tickets oh, are, are available on StubHub. I mean, what's, guys, what's I feel like sorry for those price. poor scalpers. 
those scalpers that you see coming off the freeway, I need tickets. You know, then the cardboard's getting really old. <laughs> um, so they need tickets so badly they got a sign printed off that said so. I yeah. um, I I I might have laughed in the faces of a few of those guys when. I was walking uh, down East 9th Street when I went to the game against the Jets back in October. So that's a, that's a tough racket right now. Jeff, what do you think the, the front office feels in, in terms of like where they're at with the fan base right now? I mean, we've got you're, – you're talking about the ghost town that Christmas Eve is going to be. But, I mean, at the same time, like we're also hearing things like there might be an 0-16 parade if if they actually go uh, winless this season, I mean, has that have well, you heard that mentioned in the building at all? No, uh, and I guarantee if they win, if they go on and take sixteen, no one from here is going to be in that parade. <laughs> Obviously uh, not, but <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> Joe Thomas waving to the fans, but um, that'd be the be perfect it. little bow on this season, wouldn't it? But um. Here's the, here's the thing, guys. How old are you, Tom? I'm I'm 34. I turn 35 next week. And how about you, Travis? I'm 32. I'll be 33 in a couple months. Okay, so um, so last time that they won a playoff game, you guys were like eight years old, maybe 1994. Um, and so your generation does not remember the Browns ever being good ever being good and um and that's a real real problem for the for the browns i think because the, your generation people who are like 30 and younger you know, maybe 35 and younger you guys don't remember the browns being good you probably you know barely remember them being gone and um and, and i mean how about you tom so how were you, you in 94 you were um would have been 12, right? Yeah. Okay, 12. So, yeah. I, I, so, I um, remember that. I do remember the last playoff win, and I can definitely remember going to a game in 95. I was at the game against, I believe it was the Oilers, the Sunday after yeah, the yeah, news broke was, that, yeah. that the Browns were moving. And yeah. just what a frightening atmosphere that was to be in the stands and how upset people were and screaming at the, the players and the coaching staff as they were running down to the dugout to go back into the locker yeah. room at the old stadium. and Not uh, yeah. not great. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, okay, good. So you do remember that. Sure. But people who are, like, 30 and younger, they don't remember that. They don't remember any of the good times. Well, maybe a couple do, but mostly do not. And, uh, and those are the people that are going to be buying tickets here soon. And that's where they have to market. I mean, people... You know, like my age, are you know, be, I'm gonna be croaking here pretty soon. You know, so hopefully not real soon. But <laughs> not um, to mention, I mean, not to mention a lot of those kids. You know, they lost a team for a few years, and it's, it's they probably use those four teams or four years to pick another team. Like they don't, right. they don't have that allegiance to the Browns that a lot of people do. You know, that yeah. no matter what, that's going to be their team. Well, think about it. I mean, okay. So they, they uh, so they've been gone now. Ninety six was the first year they were gone. So this is twenty years, um, and they, and so people don't you some people don't even know the Browns were ever gone. I mean, kids who are at high school or graduating from high school now, 
don't remember the Browns ever being this gone. This is the only Browns that's ever existed. Too. Right, right. And so, and so the only Browns they've ever known have been horrible for for eighteen years. They've won, they've had two winning seasons in eighteen years. And I mean, can you imagine running around in the backyard? You know, you know, pretend who would, who would you pretend you're going to be if you know it wasn't like. When I was a kid, we were Jim Brown in the backyard. Um, who are these guys in the backyard? They're they're not. They're going to be Adrian Peterson, or Sean McCoy, or whoever. You know, Marshawn Lynch. They're nobody from the Browns. They're going to be Isaiah Crowell in the backyard. Hollywood Higgins. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I, I don't be Terrell Pryor when I grow up. No, that doesn't happen now. What the. Uh... What do you think of this talk that trading camp could be moving to Columbus? Because we talked about this a little bit. I think it was either last week or the week before when that word started circulating a little bit. Um, and, and I think it was uh, Travis made the, the point. Trav, how, how did you say it? Basically, if if you're not uh, already a fan. You're not going to pick. Yeah, you're not going to pick up any new fans by moving training camp there. If there's kids down there that don't have an NFL allegiance, they're not going to become Browns fans because uh, they hold a few practices there in the summer just to get, you know, watch that garbage come come the yeah. season. So I, I don't really get the point of it because I lived in Columbus for 10 years. Um, the, the allegiances are pretty well drawn and it's pretty, in my opinion, it's I know I was actually uh, talking to someone who said uh, that the ratings indicate that the Browns are a huge, you know, far and away the favorite team there. But I can tell you, in my experience, it's pretty evenly split between Bengals, Browns and Steelers. Um, so I don't know if they're expecting to, to add new fans or what the, what the deal is there exactly. But I truthfully don't get it unless it's one of those things where, you know, there's some teams that um, – just do it for sort of a team camaraderie thing that I guess I understand. But beyond that, I'm not sure what they're going for. Well, I think they are open to draw some fans, but I think it's a marketing ploy more than anything else. But here's what to me is scary about that. Um, if this is a fair barometer, it probably isn't, but the Twitter reaction I got from uh, making that, you know, tweeting out that their, their uh, thing about heading to Columbus, people said, well, take the, you know, who cares? You can have more than training camp. Take them, take the whole season with you. And, and <laughs> fans are, are are not. Two years ago, when this first surfaced in 2014, fans were angry. That was when Johnny Manziel was a rookie. They were they did not want the Browns going down there for training camp. Now they say like, who cares? And that's really a bad. I think mean, that's really a bad omen for this football organization. I I think whoever does. Social media for the Browns, the actual team accounts deserves hazard pay because the the sampling that you got on your tweet with that bit of news, if you see the the vitriol and, and the disgust that uh, the Browns accounts themselves uh, go through with pretty much any single thing that they post is it's horrifying and <laughs> it's got to be tough. Um, I don't know, man. It. Uh, the other one that they came up with this week and, and is that, um, you know, they're going to play a game in London next year. And, you know, I, to me, I, I don't really, I don't think that one's necessarily on the Browns. I I think my frustration 
as a fan a little bit more is the fact that a they're losing a home game, which always is something you want to try to avoid. Um, and B it's a game against the Vikings who haven't been in Cleveland since Oh nine. And now yeah. because the way the schedule works, they won't be here again until 2025. Like Jacksonville's going over there and there are other teams that are, are going to be going over there that I think the Browns see way more frequently. Why wouldn't they, uh, that's, it's really more on the league. Why, why are you going to take a team like the Vikings um, when they would like only play in Cleveland like once every eight years otherwise anyway? Right. I, that's a good question, Tom. And and, uh, and I, plus, you know, I really don't know for sure um, how this works with the lease. The reason I say that is I was I, – I really – like during the three years they were gone, people always say, well, what did you do? Well – there was a lot to write about during uh, Browns wise during that time. And I distinctly recall sitting in those council meetings and when they drew up the release saying that the Browns had to play 10 home games and we could assume that they're not going to get a pl- home playoff game next year. So, um, no, they're going to come up one game short of that. I'm not sure how that is going to work out for the city. I'm going to guess that, um, and this is only a guess, that whatever tax revenue uh, would come off selling those tickets, somehow that's probably going to have to go back to the city. That would make sense. Um, Trav, did you have more Browns questions? Because I did want to shift gears here just a little bit before we let Jeff get out of here. No, I think that's good. All right. So, Jeff, the other thing I wanted to kind of bring up here in, in the last few minutes before we let you go, you know, the other thing you've, you've in the last couple of years picked up uh, covering more with uh, the Indians and the Cavs. And uh, it always kind of amazes me to see you kind of juggling all three because each one of those in their own right um, can, can be a, a mountain of work to, to keep up with. And um, just shifting gears like that. Um, being around the Indians and, and seeing like what a nice run they had this year. And even last year they didn't make the playoffs, but they had a pretty decent season. They were over 500 Cavs, obviously in the finals two years in a row, win the championship this year. Um, is that, what's that like for you? I mean, is it a breath of fresh air to go from the, the perpetual dumpster fire in Berea to <laughs> getting to, you know, kind of see the fun stuff too? Well, you know what? I love I love my job. I, I mean, they've been. I can't believe I've been paid forty four years to have so much fun. But um, it, it's I cover. I got to cover the um, World Series in Chicago too. They sent me to Chicago, and that was a blast. I'll never never forget that. So it is. It, it's a lot of work though. I mean, because when the before when the Brown season would wind down. There's a little bit of a break, but then you get ready for free agency and the draft. And I'm still trying to do those things. And I mean, it's, it is strange. Like Tom, we don't, as you know, we don't use datelines in our stories. So, um, unless it's uh, like, on a, you know, way out of the area, um, like another continent, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I would, um, so I have to say in, in my story, like where the team was practicing like the Browns, you know, practiced in Berea on December 15th. So I would, so some days I would go to um, Cavaliers practice and zoom from 
Independence over to here, where I'm still in Berea right now. And um, I would be writing a Cavs story, and I would write the Cavaliers practiced in Berea. And I'd write that, I'd go right past it, and then i go, you know, edit my story. I said, oh, wait, they don't practice in Berea. They're in Independence. And so, yeah, I have to make sure that I have the right team, uh, that I'm writing about the right team. I can't call the Cavs the Browns or uh, <laughs> anything like that, but... But, and I also cover the Monsters, the hockey team. And that, I got, so I got to cover that Calder Cup championship. And that was a blast. That was so exciting to cover that. When, you're, when you start covering these other teams and, and you kind of get more entrenched with them, um, is it a challenge in, in terms of like still trying to, to keep up with your Browns responsibilities and and also kind of develop those sources with the new teams as well, and and how do you balance that? Yeah, that's that's a real challenge. That is a real challenge because you're really, uh, and even with the Browns, I'm not around them as much as I was before. So even though some of those contacts you lose, um, and that, that is a real, real drawback to this setup. But again, I just want to emphasize I'm I'm grateful for the job I have and feel blessed that I have the opportunities I do. So you will never, ever hear me complain about anything. All right. Um, what, uh, anything uh, in particular you, you're working on right now that uh, you want to kind of uh, give us a heads up for anything you're excited about? Um, no, I'm just, you know, looking forward to, uh, to the draft and you know, what's cool. I, we, we, we won't be in spring training, but in two months, the Browns, the Indians will be in spring training. I mean, that's pretty exciting to me. And, I mean, it just seems like the season just ended. And that, that's the one thing about the Cavaliers. Man, they win the championship on June 19th. And then, and then training camp starts like three months later. <laughs> and there's like, there's like no break. No, the, uh, the NBA has done a good job of turning that league into a year-round endeavor. I mean, you get about... Six weeks, I'd say, after free agency dies down, um, to the point where the, uh, uh, you know, it, where it kind of gets quiet there through late July, early August, and then training camp picks up and and they're off and running. And it sounds like uh, next season, the NBA uh, regular season is even going to get started a little bit earlier in October. So, yeah, yeah, because they don't want these back to backs. Yep. All right, Jeff, you are on Twitter at JS Pro Insider. Is that right? Correct. All right. Very good. So everybody should go follow Jeff on Twitter and you can read his stories on news, the News Herald website, news-herald.com and morningjournal.com, uh, the News Herald sister paper over in Lorraine. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun to catch up with you. This is a uh, good times. Yeah, Tom. Hey, that was my pleasure. I'm glad that you called and glad I was able to do this. All right. As a reminder, you can listen to every episode of our show on our website, thenailpodcast.com. If you listen on your phone, subscribe on iTunes or if you Android users, Google Play Music. And don't forget to like our Facebook page. We're going to be sharing a lot more stuff on there in the coming weeks. That's facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Our thanks once again to Jeff Shudell of the News Herald and the Lorraine Morning Journal for joining us tonight. We're going to be back next week, and there's a good chance we're going to be talking about that big Cavs game coming up on Christmas Day. 
So for Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.